Confirmation, so as for those here last week, I remember we're doing something a bit different just for a few weeks instead of just working our way through a book of the Bible. Uh, in this 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we're remembering and celebrating what happened and in particular remembering the truths that happened that were rediscovered at the time of the Reformation. A few people last week asked me uh, about book recommendations, books to read, uh, if you want to find out more about some of these people we're talking about and some of these truths, uh, this is the book I'm going to recommend. It's called The Essence of the Reformation. Uh, and uh, if people often find this helpful, it is literally 100 pages. Uh, and so really easy to read. And it's really big print. You can almost read it from there. Um, and so easiest book to read on the Reformation, but really helpful. Uh, and uh, to make it easy for you, if you want to get a copy of that, uh, if you write on your feedback slip tonight your name and book or book on the Reformation, something like that, we'll order one for you and you can just buy it in a couple of weeks when they arrive here at church. They're only $10. So if you want to get a copy of that book, write that on your feedback slip and uh, we'll arrange that for you. So that's the essence of the Reformation. But now I'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for the wonderful news from your word that we are saved by grace alone that is it is nothing we do it is all your work to save us and we thank you for the people at the time of the reformation who rediscovered those wonderful truths of the scriptures and so we pray that our time tonight uh, will remind us of that great truth for those of us who already know it and for those who perhaps do not we pray that tonight they might come to understand it for the first time and so we ask now that you'll help us to listen to your word Uh, and to take a hold of these wonderful truths within it and we pray this in Jesus name amen well last week uh, you remember uh, we looked at Martin Luther which I hope you enjoyed uh, and he was the man who started the reformation rediscovered these truths from God's word and in particular you remember the fundamental truth we looked at last week is that we are justified we are declared right with God by faith alone Uh, And today we're moving into another key truth that sort of goes hand in hand with that one. Uh, And I sort of debated as we did it, should I talk about grace alone first or faith alone first? But because I wanted to talk about Martin Luther last week, we talked about faith alone. So there you go. We're thinking about grace alone this week. And that is that our salvation is not something we earn. So you don't, you are not saved, you are not made right with God by being religious or by doing good works, instead we do not actually contribute in any way, it is a 100% free gift of God. And to think about that truth, uh, I want to learn today about the man who took what Martin Luther began, and then really, more than anyone else, perhaps had an even greater impact than Martin Luther, and that man's name is John Calvin. So I've got a picture of him up on the slide, thanks Alex. So this is John Calvin. Someone asked me last week, why do they all do this in there? Is that like some secret, secret sort of like, you know, whatever that thing is, you know. Um, but uh, I told my kids I'd do that in church one day, so now I have. Um, but uh, I have no idea. Maybe there was a Bible just off picture, I don't know. Or maybe they're pointing at God in heaven. I, I don't know. But anyway, that's John Calvin. And as I say, Calvin is probably along with a guy called Augustine, who lived in the 4th century, is probably the most influential biblical thinker and theologian since the Apostle Paul, since the Bible. Uh, So really, that is how important John Calvin is. There is Paul, 
well before Paul there's Jesus but there is Paul and then there is Augustine and then there is John Calvin that's how influential he is so I want to start by telling you his stories that's what we're doing tonight okay now Calvin was only about eight years old when Luther nailed that bit of paper onto the church door in Wittenberg that we saw last week so you can't say that Calvin started the Reformation he was only unless he was an absolute prodigy he was only eight years old and he was living in France and he was only 12 years old when they put Luther on trial and called him a heretic so Luther and others started the ball rolling and by the time Calvin grew up Luther's ideas had spread all over Europe and so there were now Protestant churches established all over the place already by the time Calvin uh, grew out of being a teenager into being an adult and you see what had happened is whole cities and provinces had decided they were going to turn their back on Rome they were not going to follow the Pope anymore and they were going to become Protestant because the, the world of that time was different a lot of the countries we know today didn't exist in, in Europe instead each city state sort of was its own place And so a lot of these places had said, we are going to turn our back on the Pope and follow the Bible. And we're going to become Protestant. By the way, that word Protestant just comes from the word protest. It just meant we are protesting against the the wrong teaching that had sort of taken a hold in the church at that time. What they actually called themselves was evangelical. Uh, That word today means all sorts of things in America in particular. But what it basically meant was of the evangel of the gospel and so to be evangelical and to be protestant is something to be proud of so i hope you're proud to say i'm a protestant and i'm I'm protesting against any false teaching uh, and i am an evangelical i believe the gospel but anyway there were protestant or evangelical churches set up all over europe uh, and starting all over the places in germany in switzerland and it was starting to take a hold in england in some places they were open as i say they'd become the official church but in many places they had to be secret and, and there's all sorts of people who we've never heard of who who died literally died to set up these churches and to stand firm for the bible over this whole period and they were carrying on the the work that luther had started but John Calvin was a Frenchman and in France things were really dicey. People had started to read Luther's ideas and they'd sort of gone back to the Bible and they were saying, hang on, this is true. So there are actually lots of people becoming evangelical or becoming Protestant in France, but they had to do it in secret. They had to meet together to read these, these banned books for fear of death because the church was very very powerful and very very closely tied to the king in France and in fact the history of evangelical Christians in France is incredible reading and incredibly sad reading Uh, within about 50 years of this about 40 to 50 percent of France had become Protestant but then they were so persecuted and driven out of the country or killed that very quickly it shrank to about one percent of people and to this day only about one percent of France uh, is Bible-believing Christians, sadly. But anyway, John Calvin was there. He was at the University of Paris, and somewhere along the way, he started meeting with Protestant people and reading the writings of people like Martin Luther, who we saw last week, but in secret. But then in 1533, so he was 24 at this point. So some people here are not yet 24. I want to ask you, what are you going to achieve by the time you're 24? 
okay, because this is what John Calvin achieved. I hadn't achieved much, I can tell you. But anyway, uh, he was 24 and a friend of his called Nicholas Kopp gave a lecture at the University of Paris and people listened and said, that sounds a lot like what Martin Luther's been saying in Germany. And now the thing is though, people sort of knew that actually Nicholas probably didn't write it. People knew he had a smart young friend called John Calvin and everyone knew he was the one who'd actually written this lecture that Nicholas gave. And so the two of them had to flee Paris for their lives. They were basically chased out of town uh, for preaching this Protestant biblical message. And while he was running and while he was hiding, Calvin stayed with and met with all sorts of people who, who were reformers who had been studying the Bible and saying, we want to go back to the Bible. And over that time, he really became convinced and started to pull together what he believed. And he became convinced the church had it wrong on all sorts of things. The people need to hear the Bible speak, not the church speak. And especially that that whole question of how can a person be saved, that the church had distorted the message. And in fact, people needed to hear this truth that it is about grace and it's about faith not about what we do. Now Calvin was such a man of integrity that even knowing that they were after him, even knowing that there was a price on his head, he, he went back into France to hand back the official titles and the scholarships that the church had given him. He didn't want to be a hypocrite, he didn't want to have accepted this from the church. So he went back and thought, well, if you're going to excommunicate me anyway, I'll give it all back. You want to call me this? I'll, well, I'll hand back the license. You give me this money, I'll hand it back. And so he did that. But while this was happening, the Reformation was really taking a hold in France. And people were reading the Bible and being convinced that actually we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And, and so and it's actually a lesson for us. In the end, what is the thing that will convince people? It's this. Get people to read the Bible. And God will work. And that's what was happening. And in 1534, Protestant people decided they would do the equivalent of an internet saturation campaign of the day. And in all the, in Paris and other major cities of France, they put up posters all around the place denouncing the church, in, predict, in particular denouncing the mass, and in particular saying we are saved by faith alone. That's what matters. And now you cannot write better stories than this, I can tell you, because one guy apparently even sneaked a poster into the king's private chambers. So the king woke up one morning and there in his private chambers was a poster saying, actually, you're saved by faith alone. Can you imagine how gutsy that guy was? You can imagine what happened to him, sadly. But anyway, King Francis I was so enraged, so angry that at that point he stopped even sort of slightly tolerating this teaching and he basically had all protestants hunted down mercilessly now everyone knew calvin probably had something to do with this and so he fled france again literally running for his life and where he went to was switzerland it wasn't called switzerland then it was all these different sort of city states that governed themselves and lots of those places had decided to become protestant and he was only going to pass through he stopped in geneva one night to stay over and on his way and then they said to him actually john we need you to stay here 
And we need you to help us change the church here in this city of Geneva. And in fact, if you go to Geneva today, it is still known as the city of Calvin. That's what Geneva is. And you go to Geneva and there are statues of John Calvin. I'm sure he would have actually hated that. But uh, anyway, that's what happens. And so this place was where he then, for the rest of his life, did his thinking and did his ministry. Except for a little period where they kicked him out. And then they asked him back again in about three or four years later. But that's where he was. And the thing with Calvin was, like Luther, he wasn't perfect. And you can read books about Calvin and you can read about the mistakes he made. And that's because he's a human being. He's not Jesus. But what he was, was he was the great mind of his generation. So he was actually a really timid and shy man, apparently. He didn't, he didn't want to. Luther was like a pit fighter, you, you know. Luther got in there and argued. Calvin wasn't like that. He was timid. He was shy. He actually just wanted to sit in his study, read the Bible and write books for people. But they prevailed on him. No, 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 there is a fight happening here and you've got to help. And so he devoted himself to that battle. But what he was, was he was one of those one in 500 year brains, uh, a truly exceptional person. And as I say, there was the Apostle Paul, there was Augustine and there was John Calvin. And so he devoted himself to studying the Bible and writing about it. And so more than anyone else, the writings of Calvin are there still today for us to read. And what Calvin did that was so important was that he really pulled it all together. You see, Luther and most of the other reformers, they were starting with what the church had at that point. They were starting with what the church taught. And then as they read their Bible, they thought, well, if that's wrong we've got to change it but but otherwise they they just sort of left it as it was so even until he died luther hadn't sorted it all out luther died believing all sorts of wrong teaching that had just been the prevailing view of the church he wasn't fully reformed if you like but calvin did something different he said i'm going to start with the bible and then take it wherever it goes and his was really a biblical theology And the key thing for Calvin was that he worked out is you don't go searching for God. God is not some mystery and you've got to try and work out how you find him and what's true about God. It's the other way around. God has actually revealed himself in his son, in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God has come down into history and revealed himself and you meet him through his word, the scriptures. So Calvin said, you want to find out about God? There is only one thing you do. What is it? You study the scriptures. If you want to find out about God, you read the Bible. You study the scriptures. And that is what he did. And he devoted his life to it. And his Bible commentaries are still printed today. So there's still, people turn, I still turn and read John Calvin's commentaries. Not the originals, but reprints and translated into English. But 450 years later, I still read John Calvin's commentaries because that's what he was so wonderful in doing and in particular he's famous for writing what gets called the institutes of the christian religion where he tried to pull together everything the bible teaches about god and about man and sort of tie it all together and distill it down and that's what made him so important because if luther was sort of like the match that lit the reformation off calvin was the one who made sure it just burnt out of control all over Europe because by writing these books they could go out all over the place and people could read them and say ah now I know how to read the Bible 
and now I know how to teach the Bible and in his church in Geneva people came from all over the place and they had a model then not based on the Roman Catholic Church but a model based on the Bible of this is what a church should look like and this is what it looks like to teach the scriptures and to see people grow in their faith and they could then go back and do that in their own cities and their own countries see what Calvin gave us was a model of how to grapple with the Bible and how to teach it and how so that people could hear God's word and find salvation that's John Calvin if you haven't realized he's a bit of a hero of mine you're (laughs) missing something but anyway now I want us to think about grace alone because Calvin focused on all sorts of wonderful truths I was going to uh, bring a copy of his institutes just to show you them but I got a sore arm carrying them around early on and left them at home Uh, he focused on all sorts of things but any the perhaps the most important truth that that Calvin rediscovered and wanted people to know is this wonderful fact that our salvation is totally and utterly a gift from God we do nothing to contribute in any way to our salvation so we're going to have our reading now Simon's going to come and read for us Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 where is he there he is You know that that passage is the passage I go back to whenever I need a reminder of what it's all about, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And in particular, verses 8 and 9, I think is just about the most wonderful passage in all of Scripture. And so as Calvin and others read passages like that one, they realised that one of the reasons people think that we can earn our own salvation, uh, one of the reasons people think that somehow when we do good things for God, he should owe us something, Uh, One of the reasons people thought that was that they hadn't realised just how serious our situation is before God. They hadn't realised just how bad our sin problem is. And this passage tells us that we are not just a little bit sick and in need of a pick-me-up. We're not just sort of a bit, oh, ho-hum, and we just need God to give us a bit of an infusion and then suddenly we'll be right and living for him. We're not basically just in need of pulling up our socks a little bit to please God we are look at Ephesians 2 verse 1 dead in our trespasses and sins humanity collectively and individually has rejected God we have followed the evil thoughts and inclinations of our hearts and because of that if you look at the end of the verse there we were by nature children under wrath see what Calvin discovered along with the other reformers is if God gave us what we were owed, then he would just give us his anger and his judgment. If God said, I'm going to give everyone what they deserve, what they are owed, he would just give us wrath and judgment. And what can we do to fix that? Well, what can dead people do to help themselves in your experience? That's a non-rhetorical question. What can dead people do to help themselves? Nothing. Nothing at all. And so this idea that somehow, you know, works-based religion, this idea that somehow if you do enough good things, you can contribute to your salvation is just ludicrous. It's just insane. It's just to ignore everything God says in his word about the human condition. The idea that we can turn ourselves around, that we can just pull our socks up and do better for God and then somehow God will then owe us something that is just to ignore everything the Bible says about us 
So the first problem Calvin, like Luther, saw was that people just didn't have a realistic view of the depth of our sin and the size of our problem. That is, unless you understand verses 1 to 3 that we just saw. Unless we accept the truth of God's diagnosis of us. We can never understand how wonderful and amazing his grace is, how it is that we are saved, unless we first understand the depth of our problem and the truth of God's diagnosis. We're sort of like people diagnosed with cancer who think, I'll just go home and pop a couple of Panadols and stick a Band-Aid on my arm and that'll make me better. That's the person who tries to work their way to heaven. That's what it's like, the person who just says, no, no, I know God says my condition is terminal, in fact, I'm already dead, but I think I'll just pop a Panadol and that'll fix it. That's how silly it is. But when you get the seriousness of God's diagnosis, well, then you come to realise the only way we can be saved from God's wrath is if God does it all. If God does something about it. This is how Calvin put it, if we have it up on the slide. Thanks, Alex. Calvin said, God declares that he owes us nothing, so that salvation is not a reward or recompense, but unmixed grace. And so after seeing that horrible diagnosis in verses 1 to 3, we now move on to this wonderful description of what Calvin called unmixed grace. So come with me to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And I could read on further because he keeps saying the same things. And there's two points we need to see. Firstly, that passage tells us what God has done for us. That's the first thing. What has God done for us? It's very, very simple. He has saved us we have not saved ourselves God has saved us and this passage doesn't spell out how that happens we saw that last week in Romans but just stresses that it is through Christ and in Christ that we are saved of course we saw last week that it's because our sin and the punishment for our sin is put upon Jesus who died in our place and in return he gives us the gift of his righteousness he takes our sin and declares us righteous the great exchange but more than that it tells us here God has made us alive with Jesus now I'd need a whole sermon to plumb the depths of this and that's why I've scheduled us to look at this passage again later in the year just to think about that but very simply the point is that if you believe in Jesus you are united with him and so you are no longer dead in your sins you have been given a new life and either when he returns Or when he returns and after you've died, you will be raised and you will live forever with him. That is the Christian hope. We are made alive with Jesus. So that is what God has done for us. He saved us and he's given us new life. But the second thing we need to see here and the thing that amazed John Calvin is why God did that for us. So just look down through those verses. Look down now through verses 4 to 10. And tell me what it tells us in that passage that is about us. What it says about us and why God saved us. Was there something about us that why God saved us and made us alive? And what you'll find is there is nothing. The reason God did it is all about him, not about us. 
You see, have a look. Just look at how many different ways he says it. Verse 4, it says, God who is rich in mercy. To have mercy is to love the helpless, to love the undeserving. Then verse 4 again, because of his great love that he had for us. We deserve his wrath and anger, but instead he loves us. And verse 7, his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And of course, that word that comes up over and over again, you are saved by grace. The immeasurable riches of his grace. Grace, the undeserved favour of God. So why has God saved you? It's got nothing to do with you. And why has God saved me? It's got nothing to do with me. It's not because I earned it. It has nothing to do with me. It's because of his mercy and his kindness and his love and his grace. And so it all gets pulled together there in verses 8 and 9. And these are verses I think every Christian should know off by heart. Print these out and put them up somewhere where you see them every day. That's how important they are. Every Christian should know them off by heart. Look at them with me. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast see if we contributed anything even just like one percent any good works then we could say God saved me even just a little bit because of me if we contributed even just a little bit we could boast We could say, yeah, God saved me and he didn't save him because of something about me. But we have nothing to boast about. What do we bring to the table with God? That's one of those non-rhetorical ones again. (laughs) Nothing worse than that, isn't it? We bring the problem. That's all we bring to the table. We bring the problem. We're in negative we're not even, we're not in, it's not just that we're not in positive, it's not just we bring nothing, we bring negative numbers. Sam's doing negative numbers in maths and he asked me to explain the logic of negative numbers and I got all, all lost. But here I could have used this example. It's what we bring to God. Worse than nothing. God does everything. And that is the most wonderful news, isn't it? Isn't that why we sing Amazing Grace? That's why we can have that assurance we talked about last week. Because it is not about me, it is all about God. See, whether or not you know the story of John Calvin, I pray more than anything you know that wonderful truth. Because that is what you need to know to be a Christian, to be saved. You are saved by grace alone. Now, of course, as we saw last week, how do we accept that wonderful free gift? How do we accept the grace of God? No one was listening last week. By faith, through faith. And it says that again here. Look at verse 8. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. Now at that point, you might be tempted to say, oh, so so that's what I contribute. I knew I had to do something. It's grace, but I bring the faith. And so then you're tempted to compare yourselves to other people and you say, oh, I've believed And that's why God saved me. And I hear Christians talk like that all the time, as if they should be commended because of their faith. That is to fundamentally misunderstand what faith is. Faith is trusting in God to do what he has promised. So it's God that does it, not your faith. 
Now I've used this illustration many times, I'm not a very original person so I'm going to do it again because it's the best one I know and I was presuming actually no one would sit in the front row but people have. I want one of the, can you bring one of those chairs up Mark? Mark should be commended for sitting in the front row, well done. Yeah. Um, you see this chair here, when I sit in it and when you sat in your chair tonight you had faith that it would hold you off the ground. Some of us need to show more faith than others in our chairs. But when I sit in the chair, and it's up, I've just broken the microphone and sitting there. But anyway, when I sat in it, I don't then say, well, my faith has held me up off the ground. Does anyone say that who's not slightly insane? What held me up off the ground? The chair. It's the object of my faith that's important. All my faith is doing is trusting it to do everything. It's, it's like if you go out in the surf, you go to the beach and you get caught in a rip and the lifesaver comes out on his board to get you and then he drags you up onto the board and you lie there and he takes you into the beach. You don't get off at the beach and say, wow, good teamwork, Mr. Lifesaver man. <laughs> Between your swimming skills and muscly physique and my faith, we got there. You know, I, I could have rolled off and not trusted you. My faith was really important. You, you don't, unless you are insane... You don't say that, do you? Who saved you? The lifesaver saved you. You see, that's how silly it is to think that our faith gives us anything to boast about before God. That is just to fundamentally misunderstand faith. Faith is saying, I have nothing, and so I trust in you, God. That's faith. But John Calvin noticed something more than that. He noticed there, look at verse 8. He noticed that it says that all of it, including our faith is not from ourselves it is God's gift and as Calvin studied the scriptures he realized that actually God doesn't just sort of show us his grace in sending his son God does everything according to his grace from beginning to end so before you were even born God chose you it's the doctrine we call predestination or election. And God then works in us by his Holy Spirit to convict us of the truth of his word so that we might believe. And then he works in us by, our, by his Holy Spirit to change us and help us to put off sin and put on godliness. And he works in us by his Holy Spirit to preserve us trusting in Jesus to the end. From beginning to end... It is grace alone. From beginning to end, it is God who does the work. You may have heard people sometimes talk about someone being a Calvinist and they sneer about it. They go, oh, those Calvinists. And basically what that means, if someone says you're a Calvinist, is you are someone that believes that God chooses you and God does it all. And so in that sense, I'd say, and I think you should say, call me a Calvinist. Because to be a Calvinist is to say, I believe what the Bible says. I believe what the Bible says, that it is about grace alone. So if someone says to you, are you a Calvinist? What should you say? Amen. Thanks, Graham. <laughs> but now there's one last issue we have to think about. What do you think was the criticism people made of Luther when he said you're saved by faith alone and people made of Calvin when he said you're saved by grace alone what do you think was the criticism 
The criticism was, aren't you just giving people a license to sin? If you're saved by grace alone, then why not just keep on sinning? And why, why on earth do any good things? You, you know, and so in particular, the church said to them, the church at that time said, you can't tell people that or they won't come to church. And you can't tell people that or they won't give money to the church. And you can't tell people that or they'll, they'll just go and get drunk. And you, you can't tell people that or they'll just go and sleep with whoever because if they're saved by grace alone, there's no reason, there's no fear. And so how are you going to keep people living the way you want them to if they don't have that fear that they're earning their salvation? And so the idea was, people would say, you won't see me at church, I'll be down at the pub and I'll see you in heaven. (laughs) And the reality is that some people did respond that way. And there was a group in Geneva who were called the Libertines, just came from the word liberty or freedom. And they thought that, well, they said to Calvin, if it's grace alone through faith alone then we're free to do whatever we want we're just going to live however we like living and and you can't tell us any otherwise and whenever anyone tried to say hang on you shouldn't live that way they'd said hey grace alone John that's what you preach from your pulpit and can I say the libertines are alive and well in the modern church the libertines people who think they understand faith alone and grace alone and then use it as a license to ignore anyone's challenge or rebuke on how they live their life is alive and well in the modern church so how did calvin respond to that criticism well calvin went back to the scriptures and he pointed out that if a person thinks that well then they actually haven't grasped the grace of god if a person thinks I know about Jesus and I can keep sinning. They haven't actually got faith. They haven't actually trusted in Jesus. And so in the last verse of our passage, come back to Ephesians chapter 2, having said that we're saved by grace through faith not works, the most clearest explanation of that in all of Scripture, what does it say there in verse 10? For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. He said, actually, when you come to faith, you become a new person. And God has now created you, this new person, to do the good works he prepared for you. God has saved us and he hasn't done it so that we can just jump back in the mud. Now, he has saved us to be a new person who now does the good works he has prepared for us and that was the point of our earlier reading that Askin brought for us from Titus I've got it up on the screen look at it again it says for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people and then it says what does the grace of God do instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible righteous and godly way in the present age you see his grace if you see his grace If you understand the grace of God, the Bible says you will then want to put off sin and you'll want to grow in godliness. Or again, down to verse 14, it says, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. See, if a person thinks, oh, God has saved me, now I'm just free to keep on sinning and I don't care, I'm just free to keep on living a selfish life and I don't care, then they actually haven't come to know the grace of God. They are not saved 
They don't actually have faith. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. But what we are is repentant and struggling with sin and desiring to live that new life. You see, that struggle and that commitment to repentance and godliness is the sign of real faith. This is how, if we go back to Martin Luther, if we put the next one up, thanks Alex. This is how Martin Luther talked about it. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We have to get this right. And please listen very carefully and get this right. God, good works play no role in our salvation. All we bring to the table is the problem. Good works play no role in our salvation. You are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone. Don't ever forget that. But then, don't ever forget the Bible also says, a faith without works is dead. Our good works, our struggle to put off sin and put on godliness, our life of service, none of that contributes to our salvation. But what it is, is the evidence of our salvation. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so for Calvin in Geneva, on the one hand, he stood against the Roman Catholic teaching and stressed, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And he preached that message night and day so that people could find salvation in Jesus. But on the other hand, he stood up to the Libertines and refused to even let them in his church. And they said, don't you understand grace alone, Calvin? He said, yes, I do. But if you understood grace, you would not want to keep living the way you're living. And so our last slide is a picture that someone painted all the way back then, which is Calvin standing there with people yelling abuse at him as he said, you are not coming into this church and you're not having the Lord's Supper because you claim you know Jesus, but then you want to go and sleep with prostitutes and you want to go and live lives of drunkenness I want to see the evidence of your faith. See, Calvin said, if you really do know the grace of God, if you really do trust in Jesus, then God's Holy Spirit will be at work in you and you will be wanting to live to please God. But more than that, what Calvin worked out from the Scriptures was that knowing the grace of God is the only thing that actually truly transforms people. And it does it in a way that the law never does. See, when people think, I need to obey God's law to be right with him, I need to earn my salvation, what does that create? It creates proud Pharisees. That's what it creates. It creates self-righteous people who boast about how they're better than other people. That creates people who put on a front of godliness when their heart is actually not changed. But what Calvin discovered in passages like Titus chapter 2 is that when someone grasps the grace of God, when someone is gripped by grace, when someone realizes God loves me and sent his son to die for me and I did nothing to deserve it, that creates a real transformation in people. That's what really changes people. And that's why my prayer for you is that you will never forget that you are saved by God's grace alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your word that tells us the reality of our situation, but also the wonderful news of the gospel, that we are not saved by what we do, because if we were, none of us would be saved. 
but instead we are saved by your grace alone. And we thank you for those who came before us, like John Calvin, who were willing to stand up for the truth of your word. And we pray that we might never forget these wonderful truths. And more than that, we pray that our understanding of your grace might indeed transform us so that we might be people who live those lives of service of you, doing those good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Not because they earn our salvation, but because we know that we are saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.